This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. Iraq is falling apart and Turkey is feeling it. On the podcast today, I catch up with Louis Fishman in Istanbul. He's a professor at Brooklyn College and is proprietor of the blog Istanbul, New York, Tel Aviv. Turkish foreign policy is always fascinating. You know, it's a cliche to say that they are that bridge between Europe and Asia, but it's true that their geography makes them profoundly relevant to events in the Middle East, Asia, and Europe. Uh, So with that in mind, I wanted to understand and learn how the crisis in Iraq and, of course, in Syria is affecting the political conversation inside Turkey and what Turkey's goals for Iraq uh, might be. So have a listen. It's a really interesting conversation on a forever fascinating topic. Uh, and one thing that we do get into in, in a bit of a depth is the question of Kurdish nationalism and what ISIS's offensive and the apparent dissolution of Iraq means for the Kurds and what that in turn means for Turkey. Enjoy this conversation. I know I did. I learned a lot from it. And you can subscribe to Global Dispatches on iTunes. Here it is, my conversation with Louis Fishman. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So I'm reaching you in Istanbul. Uh, How are the Turkish political elites responding or reacting to the crisis over the border in Iraq right now? Um, that's a that's a good question. It, it, it's it's quite complicated, but in, in general, generally speaking, I think uh, the Turkish government was quite surprised by the fall of Mosul, um, and that was back in uh, June tenth, June eleventh, and 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 I think that 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 says something for itself. It's quite telling, in fact, because if we think about it, Mosul is only about sixty miles from the Turkish border. So we have to look at it as, you know, a failure, I would say, on behalf of uh, the Turkish government to forecast this. Of course, Turkey's not alone in, in being surprised by the spread of ISIS, right? The United States was equally surprised, and I think the Iraqis, Nuri al-Maliki, the um, prime minister of Iraq, um, I think he was also quite surprised by it. So, so, but for the Iraqis and for for Turkey and, and and for Syria, of course, it's quite different than if you're saying, let's say, for the United States, because Turkey is right on the border of it, and there's a lot of uh, questions that Turkish people are asking their government, and I think that, in some senses, makes it almost a domestic issue, where it is a you know where it is a foreign issue for other countries. For Turkey, we have some really pressing questions. Now, the, the main, yeah, the main question I would say is first of all, a, how did they not know this was going to happen? I mean, the the Kurdish regional government, the Iraqi Kurdistan, is very close to Mosul. Also, 
So they must have had people on the ground. And, 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 and of course, um, due to the lack of knowledge, you know, that this is going to happen, they ended up having, there's 80 or 81 Turkish hostages being held in Iraq now. Of that number, 41 of them are consul workers from Turkish consulate workers and their families included, in, in, including the consul general, um, who wasn't evacuated. They were not evacuated immediately. And, for example, I, I talked to someone in the press, and she even said that, well, you know, we called the, we called the consul that morning, um, I believe it was June 11th, and, and said, have you been evacuated? And they said, no, we haven't yet. Um, so, the Turkish government, the Turkish uh, government, let me just finish real fast, uh, uh, the foreign minister, Davut Olu, was in the United States, and he, he, he tweeted a tweet saying, our staff is protected, we've taken the, the measures, and they, they, they fell. The last thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll bring it back to you, the last thing is that it's very important, about five, six days after the hostage crisis um, took place, there's been a complete media ban in Turkey on discussing the hostage crisis. Mm. So when you turn on the evening news here, which everyone does, you have 10 news channels, there's no mention whatsoever of the Turkish hostages. Well, why, why the media ban? The media ban, uh, of course, the government, and perhaps rightly so, the government saying, you know, we need to take measures to protect these hostages. And anything that's said in the news can affect our negotiations. So is but there's a lot of people. But let me finish because there's a lot of people that are saying that you know they were getting a, they, were, they were getting heavy criticism at the very beginning. So under the stifle the, the criticism to you know to quiet down the critics, they put this media ban in, and I think um, the media ban was more of the government also trying to work under damage control. So is there any sense that the Turkish government might sort of employ a military solution to this to this crisis? You know, the idea that 80 of their citizens, their their consul, uh, including their consul general, have been kidnapped and are, you know, under, um, you know, are, are living, uh, you know, with ISIS right now or, or have been kidnapped from them. Is there a sense that, you know, there might be a military solution that the Turkish government might take matters into their own hand? Well, for now, it, it seems that they're going the negotiating route, um, and that's clear. And there's been no, there's been no sense. And it, maybe the first day there was a little sense of talking about maybe military operation. But of course, once hostages are taken, hostages are taken, then we're, we're then there's a whole different case. Let me add here, perhaps the, the most scandalous part of this whole thing is that there are many rumors saying that the Turkish government over the last two years had some role in allowing ISIS to arm or turning a blind eye to their activities in Turkey, crossing the border into Syria, and perhaps Turkish arms that were, that, that were given to these radical groups, of course, with the grace of the United States, perhaps are the one, same arms that, that, that took these hostages. So it's really complicated. But I think the idea of negotiations, that, would, that most likely is the way the path um, that they are they are going. 
So I have seen these rumors uh, in the media or these reports in the media that uh, ISIS, along with al-Nusra front in Syria, received some Turkish arms because they had been temporarily aligned with the Turkish government's position that Assad must go. Right. So this, this, so Turkey was one of the governments supporting these groups. And now this is just an instance of, of blowback. I guess how much truth do you see in, in those reports and what kind of consequences or fallout might that have uh, on you know, Turkish politics? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great, first of all, the, the question of did arms from Turkey reach uh, ISIS? Well, we know that they reached uh, radical groups. And there's numerous reports emerging that uh, ISIS um, rebels first bases Turkey and then they cross the Turkish border into Syria. Um, I think the problem with, the, the biggest problem the Turkish government government is having, and this is in terms of numerous cases, not even related to this case, is the general lack of transparency. I'll give you an example. In January, January earlier this year, late December, early January, there were two or three trucks that were um, rumored to be carrying arms crossing into the borders. Um, and the Turkish government ordered that there be a ban on any checking these uh, trucks, what, what the cargo was. Now, Turkey, Turkey claimed that this was actually cargo to help the Turkmans, the Turkoman people, in Syria, um, an ethnic group of Turks that are in Syria. But the whole point is that there was a huge debate in Turkey about what, you know, who were these arms going to. So there's no doubt that it's very, it's very likely that if Turkey didn't directly give them arms with the grace of the United States, this is very important, it's very likely that in any case Turkish arms reached this group. But without a lack of tra- with, with, without any transparent system, and due to what I well, I'll say this, but due to the lack of transparency, we really don't know. But we have numerous rumors going around that that is the case. Um, so one other issue that this uh, crisis in Iraq has brought to the fore is that of of sort of Kurdish independence, and in that. It seems as if right now um, the you know the Kurdish regional area of Iraq is you know as independent as it has ever been. Uh, how is the Turkish government, which has always had a very uh, tense relationship to say the least of uh, uh, with with its own Kurdish population and also with um, Kurdish aspirations for uh, national sovereignty? Uh, how how are they uh, approaching this right now? Are they you know because it does seem as if you know on one hand the the, the Peshmerga the, the Kurdish troops are sort of the one buffer between ISIS and the Turkish border. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, actually, well, first of all, the 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 Iraqi Kurdistan has actually very strong relations with Turkey. That's something very important. They have tensions with their own Kurdish population, um, and the Syrian and the Syrian Kurds also. Um, that were first victimized by groups like ISIS, um, had tension with Turkey. But Turkey has been uh, very close to uh, Masoud Barzani, um, you know, the head of, the, of, of Iraqi Kurdistan now, the president. And, um, of course, the pipeline that is, is pumping oil straight from the Kurdish region all the way to the Turkish coast, the uh, uh, Turkish Mediterranean coast that was built, it's the same pipeline where the Kurdish oil that was just sold to Israel, um, unconfirmed reports that it was sold to Israel, um, came via Turkey. So Turkey is in, a, is in, a, in, a, is in an ironic or a, a weird position here because, yes, 
The idea that ISIS would be controlling parts of the Syrian-Iraqi border right on the border with Turkey is not good news for Turkey at all. They know this. But an independent Kurdistan in northern Iraq, where Turkish companies have been investing in it and openly, um, it's a huge market for Turkey there. It has been in the last, you know, since the war ended, and it's continuing. So they're actually benefiting from this. So if, Kurd if, the, if, if Iraqi Kurdistan does break, a, break away and we see, the, we see the oil sell to Israel just three or four days ago as a major move to break away from the Iraqi central government, Turkey can also benefit from this greatly. So is the Turkish government um, working to make that happen, right? Are they working diplomatic channels to help secure, you know, the Iraqi Kurdish national aspirations? Uh, you know, the, with the, with the issues of security, I would I would I would I would hold back. Um, I think Iraqi Kurdistan uh, until now has shown that they're able to defend themselves. Um, but there's no doubt that Turkey is working together. The pipeline goes from these regions all the way to the Jehan um, pipeline, and that's where the oil is being loaded onto cargoes, the cargo ships. Um, it, it, it and it you know went around the Mediterranean. Um, for about a month, and last docked in Israel, and rumored was that Israel bought it for $93 million. And the bank that's transferring the money is a Turkish bank, a Turkish state bank, Halkbank. So yes, it's, it's, it's very clear that Turkey has extremely strong relations with the, with the northern Kurdish region. At the same time, this is very important, the Prime Minister uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan is moving forward together with Kurds in Turkey, to create some kind of long-term peace between the two groups. Um, so, so we can see, and that could be towards moving the, them towards some kind of autonomy. And, and this, of course, works well with the, the Iraqi case. We have to remember Barzani visited um, the region about six months ago or eight months ago. So it's Barzani also another, it's another dynamic to this. I mean, if we're looking at, I mean, just quickly say, if we're looking at this whole Iraqi crisis, what we have is we have uh, many conflicting um, uh, dynamics. We have the Syrian case. I mean, this would not have happened if it not had been, the, you know, the failure of Syria and the victory of Assad to consolidate his power, right, led to this ISIS crisis. Then we have Iraq. Then we have Iran. And then suddenly we have Israel come in the picture and purchase Kurdish oil. So you, what we're seeing here is that there's a, it's a really on multiple levels and dynamics playing here, um, and, and we're going to have to wait to see how this plays out. I mean, on one hand, we know that uh, Turkey is, was not happy at all with the Iraqi government, with Maliki's government, and we have what we had in the region was turning out to be this huge Sunni-Shia divide, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the peoples, I'm talking about among governments. Mm -hmm. um, I think the sectarian uh, war that could break out in Iraq, it's a result of manipulation. There's no, there's no, you know, a Shia doesn't wake up one morning and say, oh, I want to kill a Sunni, or Sunni wants to kill a Shia, right? But they've been manipulated by, by their governments to such an extent that there is this Sunni-Shia divide. So we have, on one hand, Assad, Hezbollah, and we have Maliki, and we have Iran. And then we have Turkey, but now we have this ISIS in the middle. So what do we do with this, right? The last question I'm going to say, the last point I'm going to make, is the important question, will ISIS be able to stabilize their power and administer the territories? 
we don't know. Or is a local Sunni uh, power going to take over in their take Would, over in their place? Uh, on on that last question, is that a result? Sort of a a you know de facto ISIS state uh, on the Turkish Iraqi region ain't an outcome that Turkey can accept, right? Like what, what um, is, you know, is that something that they could even countenance? You know, I, I would, I would be hesitant to, to say yes or no. Um, just because uh, we know that for the last three and a half years with the Syrian war, um, no one predicted which way it would go also towards the, the, the Iraqi case. Um, so uh, de facto, that's why I brought up the question, will they be able to administer? You know, I think there's a serious question um, uh, how, how much, you know, uh, organization ISIS has and will they be able to, you know, administer the territories? I think that's the biggest question. I don't think the U.S., I don't think Turkey, I don't think Iraq, I don't think the Kurds, anyone wants this ISIS, of course, to continue there. And they'll do everything to bring in um, some type of a moderate Sunni government. Let me end by saying that the crisis of Iraq, um, of course, beginning in 2003 with American invasion and the total breakdown of the system. I mean, America just didn't go in and take out Saddam. America uh, basically said, you know, we're going to take out every last remnant of Saddam's power in it breaking down the complete system. So the idea, if Iraq is able to remain as a single state, um, that is the ideal, ideal situation. You know, the Iraqi civil war and the, and, and the idea is they're not fighting over you're an Iraqi or you're not an Iraqi. They're fighting over what's the essence of Iraq. The main difference is the Kurdish group in the north uh, definitely are, are almost completely independent. And it's hard to imagine that they'll ever um, um, go back to the situation they had before. They're going to work towards independence if it's official or not. And can I just conclude by asking you uh, quickly about Syria? I mean, no country has been as affected by the Syria crisis as Turkey and NC Jordan's probably the other one in Lebanon. But there's something like, what, 800,000 uh, Syrian refugees across the border in uh, Turkey. What are Turkey's at least near-term goals for the uh, Syria crisis? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's a great question. Yeah, the, the numbers actually reached, I believe, just last week, a million uh, refugees in Turkey. Um, Turkey, um, even in Istanbul, you're seeing numerous um, children on the streets, families on the streets, um, begging. And there, there's Syrian, uh, many Syrian refugees working cheap labor. But there's many more that Turkey is housed in these huge, um, you know, tent cities. And well, not tent cities; they're they're normal uh, refugee camps. Now, we have to remember that they bypassed the U.N., and they, when they opened them, they said, we're going to invite them, and we're going to build them, right? And they didn't want international involvement. Now, this, this can be a problem in the end because Turkey actually it took a big bite. And when they said this, no one could have imagined it would reach a million, I don't think. Um, and like you said, it's a problem in Jordan and Lebanon. Just today, uh, the prime minister, once again, for example, told people that Ramadan, the month of Ramadan, starting a few days from now, he said, Please remember that if you have food left over, we have to be compassionate. We have to help these people, right? Um, the question of the future of Syrian refugees, of course, though, in Turkey is very controversial, also as a domestic issue, because if they're not going to be able to go back, what will their status uh, in Turkey be, right? And anytime you bring such a huge number of people in, this can shift uh, demographic 
um, uh, demographics, which also have a huge uh, influence in elections in different places like that, right? Different realms. So yes, it, it, is, a, it is a hard question. Um, Turkey, there's no doubt, has done its utmost to help the Syrian refugees, and I would say along with Lebanon and Jordan. But this is where the world is going to have to step in. I mean, it, it, it is a serious case. Um, and if these people aren't able to come back, we have a, we already for three years now had a huge humanitarian crisis on our hands. I know the UN is doing great work, but these are other countries that are going to have to going to have to step in, step up to the plate, and offer assistance. Uh, well, Louis, thank you so much for your time. This was very interesting and, and super helpful. So, thank you. Great, thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can catch this podcast every Monday and Thursday. Every Monday, I post longer interviews with foreign policy luminaries, people you've probably heard of who tell me their life stories and we have interesting digressions along the way. And then every Thursday, I post conversations like this one with a journalist or think tank person about something topical in, in the news. If you have any questions, comments, or complaints, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or email me via markleongoldberg.com. And remember, you can subscribe to Global Dispatches on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Bye.